this morning. Bless you, Alex. Thanks, John. Got this one here. Ah, yeah. Cool. Bless you. Hey, what a great day to be together and to celebrate the resurrection. Today's an interesting day because I was um, torn between two choices. There's a big fight on today and it may already be over. And there's been lots in the paper about the big fight. And yet there's been nothing about the greatest, one of the greatest events in human history, which is a resurrection. The reality is that the big fight may change a couple of lives, it definitely changed one, and it may change the other. But it may also ruin a lot of people's lives because there's so much money involved in it. And you know, it won't really impact New Zealand at all. We'll wake up tomorrow, it'll be a new day, and everyone will get on with their lives. But what we're celebrating today has the ability to impact not only one person, but whole generations of people. How many people do you think are viewing the fight today? 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000? You imagine if one of those people became a Christian today. Let me just tell you what happened with my life. Years ago, you remember Billy Graham? He died a few weeks ago. There was a lady who and her husband were involved in the military at Waiuru. And I think they were showing a video of Billy Graham at a meeting. And he didn't want to come. He was an arrogant, self-opinionated military guy who thought he knew everything. He'd actually represent in New Zealand. He said, well, I want to go to the meeting, but I'm not going to come if you don't come. Well, she dragged him along, and guess what happened? <laughs> he got soundly converted. He ended up as a Presbyterian minister, and through his ministry, I became a Christian. Through what happened with me, some of my friends became Christians, and some of their families became Christians. That was from just one person being dragged to a meeting for an evangelist. That is the power of the gospel. That's the power of what we're talking about today. So you imagine if 10,000 of those people became Christians who are watching the boxing match today. What effect would it have on their families, on their finances? They would stop spending their money on booze and drugs, stop beating up their wives. And their, their kids would be transformed. They'd be changed. They'd have money for school, for sports and all the rest of it. Their lives would be transformed, and not just them, but their families, and down through the generations. So that's why we're here today, to celebrate an event that can have a, a huge, lasting, and eternal impact on other people. But there's another side to Easter. While we're celebrating in our Western world, let's also reflect that in Islamic countries... There will be people today, some who will be killed for their faith, possibly. Certainly fearing for their lives. While I was preparing this, I happened to see a uh, comment from Charisma, a magazine, Christian uh, newsletter. And this lady was, came from Lebanon and so understands the dynamic. She's actually, her life's been threatened. But she warns us that as pastors prepare for Easter Sunday... Those in the West have turned a blind eye to what their persecuted brothers and sisters will face in just a few days. She says that right now Christians all over the world in Islamic countries are gearing up for bombings next Sunday or Easter, on Easter Sunday. That's something we don't have to worry about in America, she said. Well, I, my comment would be for now. Like last year, there were 45 um, Christians who were murdered in Egypt by Muslims. And in communist countries, likewise... There'll be Christians who'll be facing 
um, possibly deaf because of their belief in Jesus Christ. And they'll be threatened by celebrating the resurrection today. Did you know that it was really interesting that the early Christians were called atheists because they didn't believe that Caesar was Lord? They're actually called atheists. And of course, many of them lost their lives as well. Well, talking about communist countries, 16,583 kilometres from here in Red Square in Moscow, there's a mausoleum. Now, a mausoleum is simply a, body, uh, a building that houses a body on display. If we have the next slide, please. And this body is the body of one of communist great leaders. And just to give an example, more than 10 million people visited this tomb between 1924 and 1972. And you can go there today and you can see the tomb. Next one, please. Lenin was a Russian communist revolutionary politician and political theorist. He served as head of government of Soviet Russia from 1917 to 1924 and the Soviet Union from 22 to 1924. Under his administration, Russia and then the wider Soviet Union became a one-party communist state. On January 21, 1924, just after the death of Lenin, the Soviet Congress issued this public declaration. His vision was colossal. His intelligence in organising the masses was beyond belief. He was Lord of the new humanity, the saviour of the world. What an interesting comment from an atheistic communist government using Christian terms to describe a leader who was dead. Isn't that saying something? Because, you see, God has planted something in our hearts. All of us know that we, we long for someone to lead us and to be a saviour for our lives. That's why people follow leaders, because they believe they're taking them somewhere that's really important to them. And there may be someone here this morning, and you're really looking for some answers in your life. What you're looking for is what they set up there, a, a saviour, a lord, someone who can show you how to live your life, and someone that can save it from some of the consequences, maybe, of your own actions. Well, 16,084 kilometres from here and to the southeast in a country called Israel, there's an empty tomb. And there's lots of pilgrims will probably go and see it this Easter as they have over the years. And maybe some of you have been there. Interesting, it once contained the body of a person. But this empty tomb doesn't contain anything anymore. There's nothing in it. And yet... This empty tomb has created far more interest than Lenin's mausoleum, even in the 20th century. But why would you go there to see an empty tomb? I mean, there's no embalmed body there. There's no bones. There's no photographs. There's nothing like that. Why? Well, he's not there. Well, that's the whole point. He isn't there because he rose from the grave. He rose from the dead. And we now know him as Jesus Christ and Lord and Saviour. So in Russia this year, there's people going to see Lenin's mausoleum. But there's hundreds of thousands of Christians in Russia who are celebrating the person who rose from a tomb. And there was no evidence of him being there now. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And Todd is going to sing to us now a little bit of a video backdrop some of the story of what happened at Easter. And I'd like you, as he's doing that, just try and imagine that you were there. What would it be like? Thanks, Todd.
windows were barred All the windows fastened down Spend the night in sleeplessness Rose at every sound Half in hopeless sorrow And half in fear the day Would find the soldiers breaking through Drag us all away Just before the sunrise Heard something at the wall The gate began to rattle And a voice began to call I hurried to the window Looked down into the street Expecting swords and torches And the sound of soldiers' feet There was no one there but Mary I went down to let her in John stood there beside me She told us where she'd been She said they'd moved him in the night None of us knows where Stone's been rolled away Now his body It isn't there Ran toward the garden Cause John ran on ahead we found the stone, an empty tomb, just the way that Mary said. But the winding sheet that wrapped him in was just an empty shell. And how where they'd taken him was more than I could tell. Something strange had happened here, just why I didn't know. John believed a miracle. I just turned to go Circumstance and speculation Couldn't lift me very high Cause I had seen them crucify him Then I saw him die Back inside the house again The guilt, the anguish came And everything I'd promised him Just added to my shame When at last came I denied I knew his name And even if he was alive Well, it wouldn't be the same Suddenly, the air was filled with a strange and sweet perfume Light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room Jesus stood before me, his arms held open wide I fell down on my knees I clung to him and cried But he raised me to my feet As I looked into his eyes Love was shining out of him Like sunlight from the skies Guilt and my confusion Disappeared sweet release And every fear I'd ever had just melted into peace He's alive He's alive He's alive and I'm forgiven Heaven's gates are open wide He's alive He's alive He's alive and I'm forgiven Heaven's gates are open wide 
Thanks very much. That was really powerful. Well, can I have the next slide up, please, team? Can you imagine what it would be like if you'd been there? Did you ever think about that? Over the last few days, I've, I've thought a lot about the resurrection, obviously, and I was talking to my wife last night, and her father died last year in July. And I said to her, I said, how would you feel if your father suddenly stood in the room again with you? How, would you? Would you believe it? It would just seem too unreal to believe. And yet that's what actually happened. And we're going to read some of those um, scriptures now. After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and other, the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of light blazed upon him. His garments shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. The angel spoke to the woman. There's nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He's not here. He was raised, just as he said. Come and look at the place where he was placed. Now get, your way, get on your way quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. That's the message. And the woman, deep in wonder and full of joy. I just love that phrase. Deep in wonder and full of joy. Lost no time leaving the tomb. They ran to tell the disciples. Then Jesus met them. We've lost it. Here we are. Um, then Jesus met them, stopping them in their tracks. Good morning, he said. They fell to their knees, embraced his feet and worshipped him. Jesus said, you're holding on to me for dear life. Don't be frightened like that. Go tell my brothers that they are to go to Galilee, and then I'll meet them there. And John chapter 20. Early, early on the first day of the week, when it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved from the entrance. So she said, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. And Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Just remember that bit. I'll comment on it later. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in his place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Next one, please. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. 
in 1 Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, this is the Apostle Paul, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. Yeah, if you just leave that one up, that'd be cool, thanks. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that it's so exciting to remember incredible events such as the resurrection which has touched our lives. We just pray that as we leave this place this morning, we'd be like the woman, full of joy and full of wonder, really excited about what this means and the implications for our lives. So just speak to us by your spirit now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so why are we remembering the resurrection this morning? That might seem like a, a dumb kind of question. Well, the first reason is, it is Christianity is the world's biggest religion. And this is one of the defining events for Christianity. So it's really important that we remember it on the equivalent of the day in which it happened. The second reason is that the resurrection is the pivotal fact for Christianity. Everything we believe hangs on the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, we don't have anything worth believing in. You see, Jesus didn't come to bring another philosophy. He didn't come to show us how to work our way to God. He came declaring that the kingdom of God had come. The kingdom of God had invaded mankind, fallen, broken mankind, in his person. And he made some claims that were absolutely unreal and astounding. And those claims hold no water if he did not rise from the dead. You see, anyone can go around and make claims. But Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will have new life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, will live again. Now, I can make claims like that. <laughs> but it's one thing making them, another thing backing them up. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will have the light of life, will be able to see. Everywhere you... You saw where Jesus went. You saw evidence of this kingdom breaking in, of this new world potential, as it were. You saw people that were changed, transformed, people that were forgiven. You saw the dead raised, the blind healed, prostitutes transformed, people whose lives had been, they'd been rejected by their culture. And Jesus healed them and brought them back into the mainstream of life, transformed. But you see, if there's no resurrection, all that he promised, that would, he promised that would continue, is of no account. 
No resurrection. His promises are worthless. And so as we look at the resurrection today, my prayer is that you'll again be captivated by the truth of it, the knowledge and the power of it. And you'll be like the woman. You'll be deep in wonder and full of joy. I think it's an amazing statement. Full of wonder. Deep in wonder and full of joy. So that's the second reason. If Christianity is true, then Jesus had to have risen from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, as Paul says, we of all men are the most to be pitied. The third reason we want to look at the resurrection is that the Bible tells us that we need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and give a reason for the faith that you have and do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I used to hear Christians say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And you will have heard that many, many times. I actually think that's done an incredible amount of damage. And the reason I say that is this. If you say that, you're assuming that the other person has the same presuppositions that you have. In other words, believes the same thing. What if a person is not a believer and they're on a journey? And you say to them, well, God says it. And they say, hang on, I don't, I don't, I don't really believe that. I mean, you, you tell me that God said it, but so what? So we need to have evidence that backs up what we believe. One of the charges against Christianity, of course, is that it's faith without evidence. And I want to show you some of the evidence for the resurrection this morning that are kind of unbelievable. Stuff that I've even discovered in the last few days as I've been doing some research. And I want to also show you very briefly how our understanding of the Jesus' death and resurrection can impact our lives, as it did with the disciples. All of you would have heard of a guy, an atheist, called Richard Dawkins. <laughs> I've actually listened to a few of his YouTubes, and uh, you want to have a listen sometime if you want a good laugh, um, <laughs> because that's really sad. But he said this, He's one of the most outspoken atheists. He's really got something in against Christianity. I wouldn't be surprised if he got converted one of these days, but never mind. Presumably what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, there you go. That's a statement of faith if you've ever heard one. Um, he also said, I can't believe anyone would be interested in it. Really? When there's Christians, countless millions of Christians around the world that celebrate it on Easter Sunday. Stephen Hawking's died recently. He said there's no heaven or afterlife. That's a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. I wonder what he'd say now. It's really interesting. When you come to look at the evidence for the resurrection, the first part of evidence is the word resurrection. <laughs> Jesus talked about the resurrection. It literally means to stand up again. So if, if you're dead, you're down. You stand up. So somebody's down, stands up. And that's what the word resurrection means. It means to stand back up again. But what about some of the other, other evidences? Well, Jesus himself proclaimed a bodily resurrection. Now, if he had proclaimed a spiritual resurrection... No one could have disproved it. He could have said, I'm going to rise spiritually from the dead. And who could have disproved it? Nobody. 
The fact is he proclaimed a bodily resurrection, which implies to me that that would have to happen for him to have any credibility. And there are unexplained events. You have an empty tomb. You have people coming to a tomb, fully expecting there to be a body there, a tomb that was guarded by guards, whether Roman guards or Jewish guards is irrelevant. It had a tombstone over the front, which was, listen to this, between 500 and 800 kgs in weight. That's a fairly big stone. It was sealed, pushed over the front, and sealed because they thought that somebody was going to steal his body. So they put the guard and sealed the tomb so he couldn't get out. Now one of the hypotheses, of course, is that Jesus was only wounded and pushed the stone aside. A 500 to 800 kg stone is a fairly big stone, you must admit. Now, there are some interesting personal insights in the story. And I mentioned before, I said you to take note of one where John and Peter went to the tomb. Now, if you're writing a story that is just fiction and stuff, you, you, you try and keep it pretty simple, pretty straight, and you often don't have personal nuances in it. It's interesting, when you look at if where Peter and John went to the, to the tomb, they ran to the tomb, and it said that John got there first. Okay, Now, what did John do? John was a really, if you read his gospel, he was a really thoughtful sort of guy. He stopped on the outside of the tomb and looked in. Now, Peter came behind him. What did Peter do? What was Peter's personality? Rip. He was into everything like that. So instead of stopping outside the tomb, he just went straight in. That was so typical of Peter. So the personal kind of nuances are there in terms of their characteristics. Amazing, isn't it? And when J.B. Phillips, he, he translated a New Testament at one time, he said, when he translated, he said it was like it was pulsating with life. He just couldn't believe it. He was picking up these things and, and, and saying, look, it's just, you could feel the life in it. Of, these were real people doing real things, and you, you can see their personalities coming out. What about the grave clothes? When they went there, they saw these grave clothes, and it's really interesting. Um, they were lying there in disarray. It's interesting that the Greek word means that they were lying there, how can I put it, as if Jesus' body had just been taken out from the midst of them. In other words, they weren't unrolled because the grave clothes were rolled around the body of the person. They weren't unrolled. It was like Jesus had been taken out from the inside and the grave clothes were just lying there as if they'd been around somebody's body. Isn't that amazing? That's what the actual Greek means for the tomb. And if you have a look at the Gospels, it says John looked at the grave clothes and believed. At that point, something happened in his mind. The penny dropped. Now, how much it dropped, we don't know. But he suddenly understood at that point that this was different. There was no other explanation. Amazing, isn't it? Just little things like that. The other interesting thing, of course, is that when the women come to the tomb, I remember they come in the morning, and they, they, they're the first ones there. This is on the third day. And they were bringing spices to put around the body of Jesus. And they had 
probably about 40 kgs of spices. Now, these spices, the more important a person was, the more spices they, they put on their body. And they, they were there to do away with the smell of a body. Now, in that kind of climate, a body decomposes very quickly. Okay? So they bring these spices along to put on the body of Jesus. So to so it wouldn't smell too much. Now, if, if they'd concocted a story, if somebody had stolen the body, then surely they would have known they're part of the group. Yet they were coming there prepared to put spices on the body. They still expected Jesus to be dead. They obviously weren't um, aware of Psalm 16, which says, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor let your faithful one see decay. So we have an empty tomb. <laughs> we have some unexplained events. We have women that are coming to put spices on. <laughs> they never get around to doing that because they suddenly find that the tomb is empty and the body's gone so they don't have a job to do. But an empty tomb in that sense doesn't it doesn't prove anything. The second part of the story is the, the really interesting one. Of course, it's where Jesus appeared to people. And the interesting thing is that he appeared to the woman first of all. Now, if you were concocting a story about whether something was true or false, in those days, you wouldn't have had women as the leading actors. Their testimony wasn't even allowed at a court of law. And yet here we have the, the woman of the first ones to see the empty tomb. Amazing, isn't it? And what do they do? They run back and tell the other the men. And uh, it says that they couldn't really understand that it was silent. You can imagine if, you, if you'd be a couple of women, you're going back and you're both talking over one another and, and you'd be talking about something you, you didn't really understand. You, you've taken his body. What have they done with it? Have you, do you know where it is? You know? And, the, and, and the, the men obviously knew that something had happened at that stage. But Jesus actually met the woman. And then he appeared to the disciples. And he appeared behind locked doors. Now these are guys who were, they were country people, they were fishermen. They, 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 they weren't philosophers or anything. They knew a real deal when they saw something. And nothing could have convinced them otherwise, apart from the fact that Jesus was actually there. They spoke with him, he ate with them, he met with them. But you know, it's really interesting that the this, this writers of scripture are incredibly honest in what they say. Again, if you're trying to concoct a story, you don't add in the fact that some doubted, <laughs> because it says that. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's amazing. The honesty of the writers is actually testimony to the integrity of the actual story. And then later on, we see that um, Paul saw him. He was, met him on, on the um, Damascus Road, had an amazing transformation in his own life. This is a guy who was killing Christians and completely transformed life. And Paul says that over 500 people actually saw him. Over 500. But you know one of the things that struck me the most? What I've put up there. 
that was a, um, a, a first century um, creed that was spoken in the churches. Do you know how soon after Jesus' death and resurrection that that was actually used in the churches? Less than two years. Within less than two years, the Christian churches were using that creed. That's unheard of in history. So it's obviously had been around before that. That's how close it was. Amazing, isn't it? But what about the transformation of the disciples? <laughs> like, you say, look at Peter. I mean, he denied Jesus three times in front of a slave girl. And yet, a few weeks later, he's standing in front of a crowd of 5,000 people, defying the, the Jewish and the Roman authorities, standing up and telling the world that this man, Jesus, had risen from the dead. He, didn't give a, he couldn't care less what they thought in that sense. 11 out of the 12 disciples whose lives were utterly transformed died as martyrs. 11 out of the 12. Amazing. Why did they do that? Because they knew that no matter what happened to them, that life beyond death, Jesus was with them. He had risen from the dead. He was with them. They had a job to do. They had a message to bring to other people. They'd experienced transformation in their own lives and they had a responsibility to take the message of the gospel out into the world. The very fact that you have the gospels written down as evidence of the resurrection. Because if nothing happened, you've got nothing to write about. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's life. But they had lots to write about. And by the way, Luke is highly respected as one of the most accurate historians of all time, if you ever want to check that out. What about the change from Jewish focus to, to Christian beliefs? They started calling Jesus Lord. Same word for Adonai in the Old Testament. Now, for Jews to do that, to have a, a complete change of mind, that, that is catastrophic. Their worldview was just, in paradigm, was just changed tremendously. Something had to have happened. And what about the explosion of the church? It started from virtually nothing, from a few disillusioned people who suddenly discovered that Jesus had risen from the dead, and a short time later the Holy Spirit came upon them, empowered them. Jesus sent them out into the known world. And within 300 years, Rome, in a sense, was Christianized. Amazing, isn't it? For every cause, there is an effect. For every effect, there is a cause, and the cause was a resurrection. And what about the testimony of Christians throughout the ages? What about you and me? You and me, we're here today. I'm here because I met the risen Christ in a hut in Fiordland on my knees. And God stepped into my life and changed my life. Because I was challenged by that other guy. He gave me a Schofield reference Bible and told me to read it. And I laughed at him. And I did, I did read it and I got converted. And that's since he had the last laugh. So we're here today. We've testified that Jesus Christ is alive. He can change your life. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've never met the risen Christ, you're missing out on the greatest thing of life. The Bible says that God can change your life. He can give you eternal life. He can transform the life that you are living now. Maybe your family situation is not what it should be. Maybe your relationships or whatever are not what they should be. Jesus Christ can change your life, change your worldview, change your perspective, give you the power to live God's way so you don't suffer any consequences in that sense.
So, what does the resurrection do? We've seen some evidences. Are you convinced? Of course. You wouldn't be here if you weren't. But aren't some, some of the evidences made? And there are other evidences too, but they're probably the main ones. Well, what does the resurrection do? It validates Jesus' words and promises. Again, it's true. Anyone can say anything. But Jesus validated what he said by the resurrection from the dead. And when he was with his disciples, right at the very end, he said when they, when they were eating, the scripture says, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, this is the blood of my new covenant. Now, he made a new covenant. The disciples didn't understand what he was saying at that point. The new covenant was about a new relationship with God through Jesus' death on the cross, guaranteeing us eternal life. So, if his resurrection validates all his promises and words, that means you and I can go from here this morning. We can trust what he said, because death is the ultimate enemy, and everything else is less than death himself, death itself. So we can trust what he says for our lives and for our future. Isn't that cool? Okay. <laughs> One of the things that really struck me in all of this as I was preparing it is I was trying to put myself in the place of the disciples. Now, what we read now is kind of, we read the story and it's kind of black and white, but can you imagine their thought processes as they were going through all this? Can you imagine what was happening in their minds and thinking through the implications for it? If he did rise from the dead, what does that mean for me? What about all those promises? What about all the things he said? Can you remember what he said? What did he say about this? What did he say about that? And they all left their jobs and ended up as martyrs. Because their, their, the whole worldview, paradigm shift, it was changed, it was transformed. And we see the same thing in people's lives today who have conversions and all of a sudden their lives change. Completely different. You wouldn't recognize the same person. They look the same. They act completely different. Okay, this is the resurrection. Secondly, it's a declaration of who he is. In Romans chapter 1, it says that um, he, he, um, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So it's a, the resurrection of declaration of who Jesus is. And the early disciples used the word Adonai as in Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord of Lords. His love endures forever. So the disciples were affirming that Jesus was God himself who came to live among them who had been raised from the dead. That's amazing for the Jews to say that. It's a huge paradigm shift. And it impacted their lives and it impacted individuals right throughout history. A third thing about the resurrection, it helps us to live. It gave the disciples a new perspective. It was like putting 3D glasses on their lives, and all of a sudden they saw life different. And if you read the New Testament and read it in the light of the resurrection, you'll understand in a better way how to live, why forgiveness is so important, 
why relationships are so important, why, why love is the supreme quality that we do express to other people, because God loved us. As Christians, we're called to love other people. Forgiveness, because Jesus forgave us on the cross, where to forgive other people. Those two things can bring healing into so many different relationships in people's lives. I know that when I die, I will see my father who became a believer about two weeks before he died. I know that. Guess how that makes me feel? Gives us hope. I know that when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. So no matter what happens to me in between, I can have this confidence based upon the truth of the resurrection. So it helps us to live. And when you look at Jesus' teaching in his ministry, you know that life isn't ultimately about self-fulfillment. It's not about who ends up with the biggest car or the biggest pile of money at the end of life. It's not about who climbs the big ladder of success. It's not about any of those things. Our Christian values are quite different to the values of the world. Our Christian life is about obedience to God. That's what it's about. It's about obedience to God. The resurre- with the resurrection and Jesus' death, we have a foundation of our gratitude. Our Christians, we should be the most grateful people around. Now, sometimes I'm not quite as grateful as <laughs> life as it should be, but I was really challenged by this because we've got our sins forgiven. And all of us have messy backgrounds. We've got things we're ashamed of, but we're forgiven. The slate's been wiped clean. We've got new life now. God is with me day by day. I have a wonderful wife and a wonderful family. I've seen God do some amazing things with them. And I look forward to eternal life, the life of the eternal one. Look, it doesn't get much better than that. You know what I mean? So we, we, of all people, we're the most blessed, the most to be grateful for. It doesn't negate the fact that we go through hard times, challenging times. But we do those things framed by the knowledge that God is in our lives with us and in our midst. So how do you feel this morning? Do you feel excited? A little bit more wonder about the resurrection? Feel a little bit more fired up? You're going to go from here and regardless of who won the Parker fight, you're going to make a difference in your work tomorrow? And you can make a difference with your friends and with your family. And for those of you who, your family are not Christians, not believers, keep praying for them. We've seen God intervene in the life of our kids. One of our kids was at a bonfire one night with his boozy mates and all the rest of it. God spoke to him in the middle of a bonfire. That's it, boy. Keep praying. Because, because of the resurrection, God's Spirit is working in places where we can't be. And he can do things that we can't do. So you have to hang on to that hope. So, I just finally, I believe that as, as a church, as churches in New Zealand, we need a deeper, a new and a fresh understanding of what the resurrection means and what the death of Christ means for us. Look, if we had the same sense of wonder, <laughs> the same sense of, of awe that the early disciples had, if I had that, and I'm challenged by that, is that going to make a difference in my life? Make a difference in your life? I think it would. Hey, let me pray for you as we close and the musicians can come up and we're going to have 
exciting time just building on this. Let's pray. Lord, help us to have a new and deeper understanding of what the resurrection means. Help us to see it through the same degree of amazement and understanding as disciples, as the disciples had. Help us to see, to be like the woman, deep in wonder and full of joy as we go from here. We ask this in your name. Amen.